Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to say to you this morning, if you believe you can make a difference, or if you believe you can't, you're right. If you believe you can make a difference, you can, and if you believe you can't, you can't. Rudy Giuliani, he was the mayor of New York from 1994 to 2001, and under his mayorship, crime in New York went down significantly. Now, some people don't attribute this to him. They say crime was already on the decline when he took office. I don't want to go into all of that, but I was listening to a message this past week by John Maxwell, and he mentioned this, and he spoke about a conversation that he'd had with, either he had the conversation or he was relaying the conversation or an interview that was had with Mr. Giuliani. And when asked what he did to reduce crime in New York City, he answered and said that he called all the chiefs of the various boroughs together and asked them whether they thought crime could be reduced within the city. Those who believed it could not were fired on the spot. Why? Because if you don't believe that you can make the change, you're not going to make any change. If you're happy with the status quo, if you're overwhelmed by the situation, there is going to be no relief. If you don't think we can, we can reduce crime, you're right. So the first thing what he did was took, take out those negative influences, take out those who didn't carry within them a positive message, a, a, a can-do message that we can do this. I want to say to you that Christians should be the most creative and the most enthusiastic people in the world. When we walk out of our houses on a, in, in the morning, creativity, because of who, who lives within us, should flow from us in ways that solve a number of problems, in ways that meet a number of needs every single day with great joy and with great enthusiasm. We serve a can-do God. Matthew 29, 26 says, Jesus looked at them and he said, With men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. How many things? All things. That means anything is possible with God. When I walk out of my door in the morning and into my workplace, I need to kind of put that headspace on that I serve a God and within me is a God for whom all things are possible. And when I meet so-and-so and I know what's going on in this situation, there's, possible, there's possibility for hope there. There's hope there. There's, there's, there's breakthroughs there. There's deliverances there. There's healings there. God is a can-do God, and we ought to be a can-do people. Mark 9, 23, Jesus said to them, If you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. <laughs> Again, if you believe you can make a difference, or if you believe you can't, you are right. Because when you believe that you can make a difference, you will find a way to do it. I love the old adage, where there's a will, there's a way. I, I, I believe that is true. You can ask Siobhan. <laughs> oh, we can't do this. This happened, we can't do this. Okay, how are we going to get around this? How are we going to make this happen? How, where there's a will, we'll find a way. We'll find a way. You'll find the answer to the how. You see, when you believe you can make a difference, your creativity comes to the fore and you kick into another gear that enables you to find that solution. 
Will you just accept what he's handed to you? When you just resign to the circumstances of life, they don't change. Nothing changes. I want to read to you a portion of Scripture from the book of Acts chapter 13. And God really spoke to me. I was quite surprised in how he spoke to me through this this portion of Scripture and, and when he spoke to me. But I want to share with you what God said to me because it really touched my heart, especially in relation to what we've been saying over the past few weeks. Acts 13, I'm going to read verses 2 to 5, and we'll read it from the Message Translation. It says this. Now, let me just give you some context, by the way. Sorry. Acts chapter 13 talks about an event that happened in a church in Antioch. So Antioch was another city. Uh, This is still early church life. Uh, The Apostle Paul, then still known as Saul, had come back. He was with a group of believers in Antioch in Barnabas, and they list a whole bunch of people who were there. And they were praying in the Spirit, and they were fasting and waiting on the Lord. So this is the setting. And one day, as they were worshiping God, they were fasting as they waited for guidance. The Holy Spirit spoke, and he said, Take Barnabas and Saul and commission them for the work I have called them to do. So they commissioned them. In that circle of intensity and obedience, of fasting and praying, They laid hands on their heads and sent them off. Sent off on their new assignment by the Holy Spirit, Barnabas and Saul went. Did you get that? Sent off on their new assignment given by the Holy Spirit, Barnabas and Saul went down to Seleucia and caught a ship for Cyprus. The first thing they did when they put in at Salamis, not Salamis, New King James says, when they arrived in Salamis, and I just think the boats were shaped like little sausages, so they arrived in Salamis. No, it's a city's name called Salamis. I think I pronounced it correctly. And they preached God's word in the Jewish meeting places or the synagogues, and they had John, John Mark, along with them uh, to help out as needed. So there's three things I want to draw from this portion of Scripture that God spoke to me. Number one, I've already emphasized it to you. They went. The Holy Spirit spoke. And there was an immediate response. They went. They didn't muck around, uh, you know, after Holy Spirit spoke to them. They didn't maintain the status quo. They didn't wait for something more to happen or someone else to pop up. The Holy Spirit said, Paul and Barnabas, go. And they went. The second thing I want to point out to you on this is that the Holy Spirit guided them. This was a Holy Spirit-led mission initiative sustained by and empowered by Holy Spirit himself. So he says, I want to accept these two to go. And then we know the story that as they go, signs, wonders, miracles followed them. I want to say so too with you and I. But just like Paul and Barnabas, we're going to have to get out of our comfort zone first. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, It's really hard to find Holy Spirit in my comfort zone. It's as though Holy Spirit is always waiting just outside my zone of comfort. That's where He is. And here we have people who've deliberately made themselves uncomfortable through prayer and fasting. They've they've set their hearts to seek the Lord. Holy Spirit says, go. And as they go, Holy Spirit ministers to them. He leads them, tells them where to go, when to go into which city, when when to get out. Signs and wonders, healings, miracles following. And thirdly, I want to say 
they took the window of opportunity that was given to them in the synagogue. You see, the synagogues had an open mic policy. There's a, uh, a Bible commentary called Enduring Word by a guy called David Guzik, and he says this, The custom of the open synagogue gave Barnabas and Saul many opportunities to preach. This tradition invited any learned man to speak to the people of the synagogue at the Sabbath meeting. So Paul and Barnabas went, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they simply took opportunities that came their way. As they went into the synagogue, there would be the reading, they'd sing the songs, and, and have the rituals and the, and the prayers that are prayed, and then there would be an opportunity for anybody to stand up and share, a little bit like what we did this morning. Is there any testimony? Is there anybody who would like to share something? And Paul and Barnabas would stand up, and they would preach God's word. They took the opportunities that came their way. And I want to talk to you a little bit about taking these opportunities, and maybe saying to you, what is evangelism? How many of you have heard of a guy called J. John? He's a Greek Cypriot uh, evangelist, he lives in the UK, and he tells stories beautifully. There are a few that can tell stories as well as he can, so I'm not even going to try and tell his story. I want to play you a short little video clip of J. John. You know, a friend of mine, we went to this monastery, my friend Greg Downs and I went to this monastery just to have a little retreat, and uh, uh, there's a little guest house, and you have your meals not with the monks, but with the guests. And, and because it was a little retreat we're having, I like, you know, I, I wasn't into, oh, let's meet the other guests, really. And I just didn't want to kind of engage with them. And I thought, oh, well, they're all there. You know, they're all kind of religious-y people, you know. So we go down for your, like, bowl of soup and a uh, little bit of bread. Well, it's quite hard, the bread. And... Um, <laughs> So we sit round this one table. Anyway, one, one guest said to the guy opposite me, oh, why have you come? And he said, oh, I've heard that you can find God in places like this. That's why I've come. Then the guy just at the end of the table says, that's amazing, because the reason I've come is because I've come to see if I can find God. So I look at my friend Greg, and then the guy opposite me says, what do you do? <laughs> I didn't go, oh, I'm going to go to a monastery, I'm going to find non-Christians and I'm going to headbutt them into the kingdom. <laughs> so I said, well, that's interesting that you've said that because I introduce people to God. He goes, do you? <laughs> I said, I can introduce you to him because I know him well. They're like the whole table. You know him? I said, I know him really well. I said, my friend Greg, he knows him really well. Really? So it's like, how do we... Anyway, we led them all to the Lord. Anyway, but... Anyway... But the next day, the one guy who's had like depression for about 23 years, he comes down, he says, I've had the first best night's sleep in 23 years that I've ever had. He said, the depression has lifted. Anyway, the point is this, the point is this. I just get on with my life and wherever I go. And if I'm in a restaurant, I'm just nice to the waitress or waiter or this person or that person. And I'm just, you know, I'm 
taking the presence and I'm trying saying, Lord, give me a little access point anywhere. And if you do, I'll talk about you. I'll talk about you. You know, what is evangelism? I'll give you my definition of evangelism, right? This is my definition. I, I've thought about this. I've studied it. I've lectured on it. I've written books on it. Here is my definition. Evangelism is giving out an invitation to a party that's out of this world. Thank you. Good stuff, eh? I really liked what he said there, because that's the exact impression that I got from the story of Paul and Barnabas. Sure, these guys went, I think maybe in our minds, we, we think maybe they had a clear mission set out, they knew exactly where, where they were going, they knew exactly what they were going to do. I don't think that's how it was at all. I think they just kind of went. <laughs> and as they went about their lives in those places, they went looking for opportunities looking for opportunities. This was new ground for them. It was unknown territory. They had no idea how they would be received. Some places they were received well. Some places they were kicked out of and threatened with death. Most places, a bit of both. But they went out and they found opportunities as they went. You see, Holy Spirit spoke to them. Has Holy Spirit been speaking to you and to me? Come on, yes, he has. He's been speaking to us. I know he has. He's been speaking to us from this pulpit. He's been speaking to us through the songs we've been singing. He's been speaking to us in our own meditation and prayer time. Holy Spirit spoke to them. They went, and opportunities arose. And through those opportunities, they were able to make a difference. You and I go about our day in, in routines, most of us, we know what our work hours are. We have our little set space at work. We have our set little job that we get to do. And many of us just, quite frankly, just try to duck and keep our head below the radar. We don't want to be noticed because if we're noticed, chances are it's going to mean more work for us or it's going to be some kind of person wanting something from us. Some kind of problem is going to come our way. Folks, I want to say to you, God sent you there into that situation to be the solution to that problem. And when I duck and I just want to stay below the radar, I don't want anybody to notice me. I'm undermining the very purpose and the call that God has placed me into that position for. Because He is the answer that is needed there. His love, His grace, His way of thinking, His way of doing things. You see, not every solution to a problem is God's solution. We come up with a lot of good ideas at times. But it's Him who is the difference. Let me ask you again. Do you want to make a difference? Because if I don't want to make a difference, that's going to be me, hiding underneath, sitting below the radar, don't want anybody to notice me. Now I understand this is not about you or me or our fame or how popular or how impressionable we can be. It's not about our glory. But we do serve a king who has sent us out as messengers into the world. Sheep among wolves even. So that we can show them something that they are truly, literally dying for. You see, from where I am today, I must understand that in order to make a difference, 
I am going to have to change. I need to change my point of view of God and of myself. You see, everything I'm experiencing and the, the greatness or the limitations to the influence that I have in the world around me are, have all been determined by the way I think and the way that I've done things up until this point. So if I want to become more influential, if I want to make a greater change or a greater difference for the glory and the kingdom of God, I've got to change. Doing the same thing, hoping for different results, they say, is the height of insanity. So we want to see the kingdom of God come. Everybody says, yeah. We want to see more miracles. Yeah. We want to see Jesus praised. Yes, we do. What are you going to do about it? Well, that's your job, pastor. That's why I come here. No. Let me give you some examples here. God, of people who are famous, whose names we quote as these wonderful figures of God. I want to show you how they too struggled with this change. Exodus 4, verses 10 to 12. This is the story of Moses. When God spoke to Moses and said, I want you to go to Pharaoh. Most of us think God, Moses said, yay, deliverance. No. Exodus 4, verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. Have never been. And I am not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. How many of you feel that way? <laughs> I'm sending you to go and speak to Well, God, I, this is not my domain. I'm an introvert. I keep to myself. I want to say to you, the commission is not just for the extroverted. It's for every one of us. The extroverted will do it in a louder, probably more brash, more attention-seeking way. The introvert will probably be more subtle. But every one of us have the mandate. Moses says, I can't do this. What does God say? The Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? <laughs> Moses, who made your mouth? <laughs> Lord, I can't do that. Hold on a second, hold on a second. Who made you? Would I ask you to do something that you are unable to do by my grace? Oh, Lord, your. Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? It is I, the Lord. Now go. Oh, and I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you what to say. Folks, the issue that we have is not, uh, 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 sometimes we struggle with fear, but what is our fear? Our fear is that we won't know what to do, we won't know what to say. That demonstrates to us, to ourselves, our lack of trust in the presence and person of Holy Spirit. Let me give you another example. Jeremiah, the great prophet. I read to you from verse, chapter 1, verse 5 to 8, also from the message. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you, God says. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you, a prophet to the nations. That's what I had in mind for you. But I said, hold it, Master God. <laughs> Look at me. I don't know anything. I'm only a boy. God told me, don't say I'm only a boy. I want to say to you today, don't say I'm ineloquent. Don't say I'm not able. Don't say I'm not educated enough. Don't say I'm not important enough. Don't say I'm not wealthy enough. Don't say I'm not black enough. Don't say I'm not white enough. Don't give God a million reasons why you can't do the very thing He's called you to do. Man, I just preached to myself there. 
God told me, don't say I'm only a boy. I'll tell you where to go and, and you'll go there. I'll tell you what to say and you'll say it. Don't be afraid of a soul. I'll be there looking after you. God's decree. You see, what is the force behind all of this? It's the presence of God. It's being in tune with Him. It's yielding to His voice, guiding us, coaching us, teaching us, empowering us as we go. Amy Grushel, the wife of Craig Grushel, said, Just like our life assignments, Jeremiah's calling from God wasn't about Jeremiah's ability, but God's ability. You see, when God calls us, it's not because we're necessarily the qualified or the most gifted person. It's because He wants to do something through us, and He's chosen us. I remember back in the days when I used to play soccer at break time, and it came time to choose teams. There were two captains, and you wanted to be chosen first. To be chosen was the mark of approval. To be chosen was to say somebody believed in you and thought you had something worthwhile to contribute. Nobody wanted to be the last one chosen. Trust me, I know, because that was always me. When God chooses us to do a job, it is a sign of His faith in us. It is a sign of His appreciation of who we are and what He's put in us. It is a call up to a higher level that He wants to empower us into. We need to remember that when God appoints, He also empowers. Amy goes on to say, He is faithful to provide all that you need and He will work through you Weaknesses and all. Weaknesses and all. I've been struggling. My dog chewed the cables to my front gate. I have an electrified front gate. You push a button, the gate opens. If the the wires are chewed, the button doesn't work. The gate stays closed. There's no sort of manual override. So I've been struggling with the closed gate. People come to visit have to come through the garage, you know, the family entrance, as you, as you wish. So yesterday, I had a man there come to, come to, in the afternoon, lovely guy, came, he helped me rewire it, sort it all out, got the gate fixed again, and just as things were about to be working, they weren't. And so he went and he looked and he said, ah, whoopsie, he said, he'd made a mistake. He'd swapped two wires around and not, com- not connected them correctly. I said to him, you don't understand how much that means to me. Because I've been making mistakes on these wires for weeks, which is why you now have to be here, because I couldn't figure out. It's so comforting to me that you also sometimes get it wrong. Sometimes your mistakes, sometimes falling over yourself, speaks loudly to somebody else. Because it reminds them that they don't need to be perfect. None of us are. But if we want to make a difference, we need to make a change. It has to happen inside of us before anything can happen on the outside. A famous musician called Toby Mac posted this up on his, uh, his post, this meme up this week, and he says, you can't change what's going on around you until you start changing what's going on within you. I'll say it again. If you believe you can make a difference or you believe you can't, you're right. So what situation have you been facing? What work colleague, what, what difficult thing have, have you been struggling with where you've resigned yourself to it or you've thought maybe there is no solution here? Maybe there is no answer here. It's time to change. 
Maybe you're stuck in a work environment that is toxic or that you don't like it and you just don't feel like you're empowered to do that. Then you're right. But if you change your mind about that and understand that God has possibly sent you into that situation to be salt, to be light, to be the change that you want to see, immediately you're empowered to do it. Moses had to yield to God's way of thinking. And in doing so, he delivered the people of Israel out of captivity of Egypt and into the wilderness, got them ready for the promised land. Jeremiah had to yield to God's way of thinking. He had to deny his own insecurities of his youth, of his inability, of his lack of qualification. I've got nothing to say. And he had to yield to God saying, I will show you what to say, just trust me. The Apostle Paul had to yield to God's way of thinking. When he met Jesus Christ, he had to change. God said to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it? He gets a revelation of Jesus Christ, changes his life completely. He comes to this moment in Antioch, Holy Spirit says, I want you to do this. Paul was teaching in Antioch. Barnabas brought Saul to Antioch because Saul was a great teacher. And so he was teaching the word of God in Antioch. And that's probably all he thought he was going to be doing there until Holy Spirit speaks. And then off they go. You see, the question God asks you and I every single day is, will you yield to my way of thinking about who you are, what I say about you, what I say about your situation? Will you go where I ask you to go? Will you? Can I trust you? Will you say what I ask you to say? You see, the lessons of God's obedience, or the lessons of obedience to God's word are never learnt on the front end. Always afterwards. Always on the back end. God never tells us up front what he's up to. But once we take a step of a faith, take a step of obedience, we begin to experience a life that is so filled with his vitality that we then begin only to understand the lessons that God is trying to teach us. Sometimes, folks, you've got to put on your Nike swish and just do it. Sometimes you've just got to do it. This is, this is what, what God says to Joshua. So we had this generation of Moses where God used Moses mightily, led the people out. Now Moses dies, God says to Joshua. And this is, listen to this, Joshua 1 verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. It's a commandment from God. How do you be that? How do you do that when you don't feel it within you? How? You have to yield to a strength beyond your own. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We serve a can-do God. We are a can-do people who have the power of heaven within us. How do I make a difference? Where do I start? Well, I need to start in, one th in this place, and I need to understand that good intentions alone are meaningless. Good intentions are worthless. They have no currency. They have no value. They are worthless. A good intention never changed anybody's life. A good intention never met a need. 
a good intention never brought deliverance or healing. A wise young man named Stephen Kiriakou said last week, engaged people are passionate people. Engaged people are passionate people. Unengaged people are apathetic. What do I mean by engaged? They are people who move beyond their intention, out of their comfort, into actively trying to make a difference to somebody's life. Most Mondays, I take an hour out, and I have what's called Maxwell Mondays. I love the ministry of John Maxwell. And John Maxwell, as you, many of you may know some of his ministry, he preaches or, or teaches predominantly these days into secular business environments uh, about how to be successful. He says, you, you know, you, 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 you offer a businessman the chance to be successful, he's going to come to your conference. And that's how he hooks them in. But everything he teaches is scripture-based principles. But when talking about how to make a difference, he has five things that he says he does every single day. And I want to share them with you. These are not mine. These are John Maxwell's. But they're powerful. He says, these are five things. If you do these five things every single day, you'll be successful. Do you want to know what they are? Number one, he says, every day I value people. Everyone. Every day I value people. He does this thing. He says, say this with me. Jesus loves me. Look at the person next to you. Say, Jesus loves you. Now say, Jesus loves people I don't know. Now say this, Jesus loves people I don't like. <laughs> what does that mean? That means every person I come across, whether I love them or not, whether I feel love to them or not, whether I like them or not, Jesus loves them and they're valuable in His sight. How can I add value to that person? Because God values them. That is what a heart of humility looks like. That is why Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, even the one who was about to betray Him. That's why He healed the ear of the soldier who was there to arrest Him. That's why he hung on that cross and said, Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. Because he valued people and he knew the value his Father put on people. Number two, think of ways to add value to people. Every day, he says, I think of ways to add value to people. I don't know about you, some of my most productive mental times are while I'm brushing my teeth, while I'm in the shower, while I'm just kind of getting ready for my day and mentally preparing that's a really great time to start thinking, how can, how, how can I, who can I add value to today? What way can I add value to somebody else? Number three, look for ways to add value to people. So don't just think about it. Look for ways, practical ways that you can add value to somebody else. You see, what you when you anticipate opportunities, you will find them. I want to say that again. When you anticipate opportunities, they will come to you. You will find them. If you're not anticipating them, they won't. You have to be intentional about this one because it goes against our natural selfish mindset. Our natural selfish mindset is concerned about my comfort, my best, what I'm going to get out of this. Number four, 
do things that add value to other people. Number five, encourage others to add value to people. Folks, here's, if I can put this whole message up into a nutshell. When you go out of your door in the morning, if you believe you can make a difference, or if you believe you can't, you're right. I want you to walk out of this place today understanding that not only are you able to make a difference, but you are called and commissioned to be difference makers in the world. It's called being salt and light. The Bible says, salt that has lost its saltiness, lost its savor, is worthless. It is good for nothing except to be trampled underfoot. Those are sobering words, aren't they? So, when I say make a change, make a difference, the change that needs to take place is in me, in my heart, in my way of thinking about my God, about myself, in my attitude, quite right, when I go out. And when I begin to make that change within me and begin to look for opportunities, guess what? I become a person who starts making a difference in the world around me. The way I treat the shop attendant, the way I remember his or her name and bless them or pray for them, the way I treat my colleague at work, the one that nobody else wants anything to do with, I begin to change the flavor and the atmosphere around me. And I go out intentionally looking for opportunities to do, as J. John said, talk about you. Talk about God. When I look for opportunities to talk about God, I promise you they will come. When you actively look and wait, God will give you the creativity you need to unlock conversations just like he did. Uh, one of my favorite ones is John Maxwell. He says he goes to these business conferences. He teaches people uh, on, on, on his five steps to becoming successful. Five things you need to have to be, to be successful. I'm going to give you four. And he gives them four, and he teaches them the four. Are there any questions? And inevitably, somebody will say, what's the fifth one? And they'll say, no, you don't want that. You don't need to know about that. And he plays with them. He says, oh, but we do, we do. And he says, all right, all right, fine. Yeah. The fifth one is my faith. Everything I learn, I get from the Bible. If you want to know more about it, this evening before supper, I'm going to be sitting over there. You're welcome to come talk to me. Because inevitably, there's a queue of people waiting for him before he even gets there. Why? Because he's, he's used a smart hook. God will give you hooks. He says he's... Re yeah, I don't want to go into too, too much of that. But I do want to say this, folks. When we expect opportunities, when we look for them, and when we pray for them, they will come. But we need to be in our heart space, in a position where we're saying, Jesus, I am here for you. My heart is to bring your glory and your kingdom and your love and your grace into this situation and into this environment. Change my way of thinking from just trying to stay behind, below the radar, to sticking my head up and standing for you in love that I can make and be a difference. Amen? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.